Welcome to the Gamers Over 50 podcast. This is episode 64. IVR, UVR, we all VR. What's VR? Wait, what is VR? Now, VR is easy. It's virtual reality. And per our great friends at Wikipedia, please donate as always. Virtual reality is a simulated experience that can be similar to a completely different from the real world. Simulated experience that can be similar to or completely different. So it can be similar, can be different. Um, Video games, education, medical, military, business, adult entertainment. And I'm going to get into that, but I had to mention it because when you do a lot of research on VR, which I have spent probably 20 hours prepping for this podcast, some of it was playing VR. Um, But, you know, the standard VR systems are what we're thinking about today. Everybody sees the, you know, the headsets on the, the Oculus or the Hive headsets on. But VR has such a a long term uh, history is probably the best way to say it. it. And it's got so much detail to it that I thought this was such a neat subject because as people over 50 or under 50, if we're thinking about virtual reality or thinking about during the pandemic, um, I was, I've been really kind of pulling myself together and trying to get some interesting new thoughts and philosophies and things like that. And I started listening to, uh, it's called while reading called the daily stoic, which is an interesting, uh, podcast or not podcast. I think it's a podcast, but it's more of a, a daily email I get that goes into, a very interesting concept of thinking about things in a different way. So, you know, where we're thinking about the pandemic and we're missing out on things and we're not getting to do stuff and people say FOMO. And, you know, I, I think FOMO is the dumbest thing ever. You know, the fear of missing out. You know what? Everyone misses out on stuff. Get over it. Be okay with it. There's one of my six probably rants today. Um, but Cic- and this, you know, one of the things I got is Cicero talked about like, the person who cannot hear can't hear music, but then Cicero goes, well, they also can't hear the squeaky, uh, squeaky wheel in the wagon. They can't hear about the pig being, uh, killed to, to butcher. They can't hear about the storm that keeps you up at night. So there's, there's a different way of viewing it. And virtual reality can be that. I think a lot of times, you know, virtual reality or technology has always been vilified and we'll talk about kind of a movie experience or two. But it's also been something like, oh, we're just going to see people with these headsets on. They're going to be laying in beds. And, you know, I, I I didn't bring up the Bruce Willis movie because I feel like I I could pull up a Bruce Willis, you know, plug every single podcast I do. Um, and that's nothing against Bruce. He's done an amazing job and I would always welcome on there, him on there. And, uh, you know. I think he he and I actually have something in common because I think my dad told me one time he worked as an intern at DuPont and I did too. So there you go. But VR is really one of those things that we look at differently. But when I was growing up, you know, virtual reality or anything that wasn't like my reality being the new kid in the place and, you know, constantly questioned or bullied, sounded like this brave new world. You know, we could see this electronic frontier for us to explore. And yes, I stole that from Tron Legacy. But, I mean, Tron was like the VR. We, I thought of like, oh my gosh, I could go into Tron. You know, the world of Tron. And that would be so cool. And I could get into the, you know, the, the frontier, as, as uh, Flynn says in the second movie, the frontier. But, you know, the funny part about it was we had all this electronic frontier and we were creating a new world to go visit when we have places like space or we have even more importantly the ocean that we haven't explored and seen and we're not protecting and things like that and yes i'm getting on that but it's also because i want to someday meet leonardo dicaprio um not for titanic but more for the wolf of wall street because i think he was hilarious in that movie um and it probably took a lot for him to do that without laughing every single time. But, you know, we're thinking about this. We want to get back and we want to explore and VR allows us to do that. And VR looks so cool. And like in the eighties, there were these really cool standing VR setups in arcades. If you had a big arcade, not like the local arcade at the, like the pizza place or something, but they had these things called virtualities. 
And the virtuality was, you know, you could pay someone and you got like five to 10 minutes. And the game I remembered the most was called Dactyl Nightmare. And it's this multiplayer, you know, map where you can like, you've got to go all these places and you have this grenade launcher and you're, you know, pterodactyls are trying to attack you, you know, which is like, oh, cool. Dinosaurs, computers. Yeah. You know, preteen, teenage boy. That's the coolest thing ever. So it was really, really neat to see that. The only problem was, is it costs like $20 to play it and $20 at that time. And, you know, late seventies, early eighties is like $500 to me today. You know, and I have a rule that I don't, I have to wait till I spend a hundred dollars. I have to think about it. Um, But, you know, you could see that world like a Tron or you could see that world. And I think the funny part is like in hackers, when they're hacking it, there's like a virtual world and, you know, I've got a couple of other movie references, more of there's a really good movie reference that I want to bring into it after a bit. But VR was kind of that one place where we knew we'd be living in a virtual world and, you know, ready player one. If you saw the movie, you're like, oh, that's cool. If you read the book, you're like, oh, my God, what the heck's going on here? And if you haven't read the book, read the book. It's dystopian as all out. But it's interesting it's got a similar concept, but you know, the movie ready player one where people were like, Oh, that's horrible. You know, it's again, it's a movie. It's like jaws. Okay. That's doesn't look like a great white shark. Like we see on the national geographic. It's, it's a giant shark jumping on the boat, eating people and poor Quinn. I can feel like he should go. Not that I don't like Richard Dreyfuss, you know, but it seemed like the logical choice, but you know, if we're thinking about virtual reality, it is a place that we can escape to and games are that way, but it's also a place that we can escape to. So not saying that we're going somewhere and we're just disappearing, but we can go and see things. And we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. But, you know, I knew one day I would be able to live in a virtual world because I am just a virtual boy. You know, thank you, Madonna, for that one. Um, who very obscure fact went to high school outside of, you know, Detroit, <clears throat> my sister also attended her high school, <clears throat> I think for a year, not, not too much. So let's pull our gloves on or our gloves, our pants, our headsets, strap me in, boot it up, adjust everything because Lycra and Velcro just don't fit on everyone the same exact way. And okay, wait, let's wait. It's booting. It's still booting up because um, VR takes a little bit longer than a regular, you know, app on your phone. Wait for it. And all right. <clears throat> Excuse me. So stepping in, let's talk about the etymology of virtual reality. Because virtual means bringing, or sorry, being something in the essence or effect, though not actually or in fact. So virtual could be anything, right? I mean, this is something that's in essence or effect. So it's it's existence, but it may not actually exist. And now the crazy thing is that was brought up in the mid 1400s. So thinking back to that point, and if we're looking at that point, not until 1959 did we really attach the computer. And I think we, you know, when I say the computer, I'm doing air quotes like cathode tubes, et cetera. But the, the virtual term is means not physically existing, but made to appear by software. So there's your virtual, oops, sorry, kicked my desk. There's your virtual side of this. And it is made to appear is a great way to think about it. Virtual or made to appear. Now, what's very interesting is Antonin Artaud. Or I think I said that name right. Artaud, A-R-T-A-U-D. Yeah, pretty good. Um, I'm sorry, France. But he was a playwright in, in 1938, disco- discovered and described the illusionary Illusory nature of characters and objects in what's called, I apologize, anyone who's French or French Canadian, La Relate Virtuelle, which is a collection of essays that goes in and talks about this virtual world that we could be in. Now, it could also be considered the dream world in those ways. So, you know, don't read too much. And then until, like I said, 1959, you know, we really didn't have virtual virtual reality coming out. But in the 1970s, artificial reality was coined 
or said by Myron Kruger. And then virtual reality was brought into the science fiction context. So this is another obscure fact for you. So virtual reality was first used in a sci-fi context by, uh, by Damien Broderick in 1982 in the Judas Mandela. Now, very interesting thought about this is that's just what we all think. So that's virtually what it is. Ha ha ha. I got to say it like that. But it is virtually, this is what the history and kind of that etymology have brought in to this term virtual reality. Now, what's very interesting is so we have the book and then we got a virtual reality movie in 1992. I mean, in 1980s, we started seeing some virtual reality hardware, but it didn't get so mainstream. You know, a lot of folks who were techies or people who went to arcades saw it. But, you know, I could have said to my grandmother, virtual reality in the 80s, and she would have looked at me and said, okay. And she was a mathematician. So, you know, she might have seen it, but she would have also looked at me. But again, virtual reality really wasn't designed until the, you know, the late 80s. And the firm was VPL Research who did that. So this is, I want to give a lot of history because this is very interesting when you're talking to people that you can have all these neat facts sometimes. Hopefully hold on to one or two of them. But in 1992, we got that real pop culture entrance with the movie The Lawnmower Man. Now, I want to give a synopsis of The Lawnmower Man because when I was a kid, I was like, this is so cool. And then when it was 1992, I was like, I'm in my early 20s. I'm like, oh, my God, thank you. There's not finally a movie. The problem is it's kind of a sci-fi horror film, not a piece. Now, it was adapted from a screenplay called Cyber God, which if you're thinking about it, okay, Cyber God first, that's the worst username ever. It's a horrible password as well. Super easy to break that password. But it's also, all of this is based on a short story by Stephen King. Now, Stephen King writes great horror. He writes, I mean, misery is still keeps me up at night. And I swear if I ever meet Kathy Bates in person, I will be like, I swear you scared the daylights out of me. You, like Glenn Close got me, but Kathy Bates owned it. Oh, oh, I can't even think of misery if I'm shaking a little bit. Oh, I get that Kramer when he does that whole movement. So, all right. So the Lawnmower Man comes out and it's this great movie. I mean, it had good people picked out Pierce Brosnan. James Bond. I don't care if you don't like him. He was a pretty good James Bond. Had Halle Berry in the movies. You know, got to go to Cuba. Pretty cool. I mean, I think almost all James Bonds got to go to Cuba at some point or should go. Um, but it, it is this place where they take this like, and they call it intellectually disabled gardener. So this would be someone who has intellectual challenges is what we'd say. And he helps him by giving him the virtual reality and it creates superhuman abilities, blah, blah, blah. And he's trying to evolve into a digital being, which is one of those things <clears throat> that I think is really interesting because if we're looking at virtual reality in a digital presence, then where are we really living? Are we living in the real world where we can touch things, where we go to work, where we make relationships? Or are we living in the virtual world where we can simulate it, touch things? We can still remake relationships and you can still work over there. So is it somewhere where we're, we're developing that presence and where does our presence exist? Does it exist in the physical? Does it exist in the mental or the metaphysical? I know. I should have like a, Oh, I do have a bell over there. I could have young gone and rung, sorry, young grabbed and rang so that we could, uh, we could have that movie. Now what's really, really, really interesting is I was so excited for this movie. And it came out and it was like, oh, it just seemed like it wasn't flushed out enough. The tech was so overboard, which in tech movies, you're so overboard or you're so underboard. I mean, you have Jurassic Park, the girl at the end of the movie saying, oh, I'm a hacker and she's breaking Linux. Right. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, there are probably children like that. Totally get it. But they probably aren't very active and they sit in front of their computers. I'm thinking young Sheldon more than the girl and she he wouldn't have been able to get on that island in the first place but it was really this sci-fi horror-esque movie it did okay they actually made a sequel but the interesting thing is and this is the obscure fact of this lawnmower man movie 
is it got beat by Wayne's World, Wayne's World, party on. Excellent. But it got crushed by them. It made like, I think, $7 million um, in there. And, it, you know, again, it comes into that. So, you know, a little etymology, a little pop culture in there. But let's talk about some of the methods of VR because there are lots of methods of VR. And we're not talking about, you know, I'm going to put a helmet on or I'm going to put my Oculus on or whatever. We have, there are so many different ways to think of virtual reality because there are multiple senses. And we're not just dealing with what I can see, but maybe what I can do, maybe a touch, maybe I can hear, all those areas. So we do have the projector-based VR. And this is where you're kind of robot navigating, um, airplane simulations very much, you know, is built into that. And there's, you know, a camera is used for modeling the small objects at a short distance. And this is really the, the game world of the 3D environment, or we're developing 3D so we can see those senses. Now, you're still hearing everybody else out there. And you can still, you know, smell and do those other things. Since one area of VR has not hit is smell yet. I'm sure they're getting close. Um, but that brings up gross stuff. Okay. So there's projector-based. Then we have desktop-based virtual reality. And this is based on our desktop displays, like our PCs or our laptop displays, our tablets as well. And you must have first-person kind of view in this when you're doing this. So if you think about first-person is... In first-person games, there's really no peripheral view. You're using everything in front of you on that screen. Now, they've got the giant wide screens, and maybe you have a screen that goes all around you. Maybe you bought five or six of them, depending on how many it takes to go all around you in a circle. You can get rid of that periphery thing, but then you're dealing with the above and the below, and it's okay, so now we got to build a whole room where it's going on the floor, and it's going to the ceiling, and it's going around me. And first, you had to build a round room, which I'm going to tell you, after a lot of stuff that has been... Uh, done in our house or I've had to do, you can't build a round room. It's really, I mean, you can, it's just a pain and you know what. <clears throat> okay. So thinking of desktop is you're really having to look straight forward and seeing that depth. So, you know, that is desktop based VR. All right. Now more commonly understood and seen and known as VR is gone is head mounted display. So HMD and this puts you into a virtual world. Now you've got to wear the the head so you still feel, your skin feels the head. You can hear like in your virtual world. You can see in your virtual world. Again, smell, taste, gone. But you can feel like you're there, except for you feel that helmet. So you have to break that off. And it will kind of separate. But it includes, you know, two little monitors that cover each eye. And they call it stereoscopic graphics, which takes you into that 3D world. And you can also have things. So maybe you have hands, gloves. Um, and again, I go back to Ready Player One. If you've ever seen the movie, you kind of understand they have like a suit. You could also have a suit that has haptics. So like, you know, a tick on your hand or when you grab something, it actually you feel the squeeze on your fingers from the, the suit and things like that. Um, but this is, you know, your Oculus. This is your Hive out there as well, uh, PlayStation VA, you know, out there as well. So you have all these different types and you know, it's the most well-known VR and it's been included in almost all the virtual reality systems from the eighties to today. Um, what's interesting about it is, is it gets older and the technology gets better. And we saw this with sound systems. We saw this with computers. Now we're seeing with VR is that the price point is getting lower. And we're seeing more, you know, applications that are out there. Um, and we're going to talk about this because I have a VR headset. And I got one because, you know, this has been a topic I've wanted to do forever. This may be a longer than 30-minute podcast. I apologize. But it is such a cool subject. Okay. So there's still a few other types. There's augmented reality. And this is where you could have a headset or smart glasses or you go through a mobile device. So if you've ever played Pokemon Go, you can make it so that the Pokemon show up in real world and stuff like that. Or there are other times like dinosaur things. Or, or sometimes you can have a, an event venue that'll allow you to see a different view through your camera. Now, that's how you look at it. I know certain glasses will do this. 
And, you know, we take these real world spaces and input characters or items into this augmented reality. Then we have mixed reality, which is taking, you know, the real world and a virtual world and bringing them together to create a new environment. So while you may look out your kitchen window, uh, you'll have visualizations and physical and digital objects that coexist at the same time. So maybe you're cooking and you're cooking and you have a, you're cooking on the left burner and on the right burner, you have the VR cooking. And so you can look back and forth and say, okay, mine looks like that. And that's a really interesting way to think about this. Or let's say you're in a medical situation and we're dissecting, say, a fetal pig. Because that was a thing. Or you can dissect a frog or whatever you know people dissect anymore. But you can look to the side and say, oh, this is where it should be. And you're like, oh, okay. Instead of having to stare at a book, instead of, you know, kind of reading and then doing while you're doing this, this, this mixed reality can work in that way. Now notice both of those examples, very positive examples, right? There's the, the amount of greatness and the amount of teaching people faster and making sure people are doing things right with technology is just wonderful. And, you know, again, this goes back to this sort of thing. Oh, I could spend so much time in this world, but this world can actually help me make things better. So let's say I'm a home cook and I could use a mixed reality, say glasses uh, that help me do this recipe correctly. I can then not have to go through the fact of having to burn it or to mix it wrong. Or in my case, if I like to do an Alfredo sauce, I accidentally use milk all the time. And then I, oh, it's not even worth, you have to use heavy cream, blah, 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 blah. I mean, you can use milk if you want to, but I have a quick and easy method. Not that we need to get in that. All right. Last one is simulated reality. Now, this is all hypothetical. And this is where we get into that matrix, that Ready Player One. Um, there was like a Bruce Willis movie called Surrogates where the, you know, the, the robot is in reality, but the person's in the chair. We kind of have that. It's simulated. So it does go into that. And again, Bruce Willis, anytime. Uh, but it is, you know, it's going down the rabbit hole to, to quote Morpheus. It's really getting into, you're going into another space. And it's a system where everything occurs in your mind with some bodily motions, but everything is virtual. Now, this is a scary world because we all become human batteries. Or we get addicted to it and we're stuck there forever and we don't have a physical and we don't see certain things. But you do have taste, smell, all the senses are covered there. All right. So we started a little bit with the history. What is super cool about the history is that, you know, there are some devices that came along before we had all the, the headsets and stuff. And I want to call out a few of these. My, a couple of my favorite ones was Morton Heilig or Heilish. Uh, in the 1950s, talked about the experience theater. And then he built something called a sensorama in the 60s that had little short films that kind of engage sight, sound, smell, and touch, which is crazy, right? Because we've talked every time I've talked about VR, I said smell. So maybe they included a smell. So when you're on a railroad, you can kind of smell that, you know, the, the coal of the railroad at the time, because at the time there's lots of coal used in the railroad. So you also have, you know, the sensorama being very mechanical. So there's not a lot of tech. It's very mechanical, very engineered. And they also had what they called the telesphere mask. You know, you have, you know, the, and I, the, the one that we probably all know that goes down this mechanical road, and it doesn't really take us, it's more very sight, was the Viewmaster. And if you owned a Viewmaster and you owned a little circular things, and probably if you're in your 50s, we all had a Viewmaster. And we all went places with our Viewmasters. And it was super awesome. And we saw movie clips. Now we can go YouTube or whatever. But at the time, you'd pick this up and you'd click, click. And our grandparents would use it and our parents would use it and our brother and sister and our friends. And we could trade the Viewmaster. So the Viewmaster was along the lines of these mechanical masks. Viewmaster, though, was very, if we're going into the VR of what we have today, it was medieval in that. But it was so cool. 
And then in 1968, they started building HMDs and they started building more technology. And the very first, this is the obscure fact, the very first VR game was called The Sword of Damocles. I got to rant a little bit on this. Really, does everything have to be The Sword of Damocles? I mean, there are so many game references with The Sword of Damocles. And if you don't know what The Sword of Damocles is, it's a sword hanging over your head. And I know that sounds foolish to say it that way, but it's just like, okay, you know, great. Sword of Damocles. But in 1968, that was the first thing. So in effect, virtual reality technically, on a technical computational side, is older than me. So God was born in 69. So we go through that. And then we get into these, you know, VR devices from, you know, the 70s and 90s that went into medical and a flight simulation and automotive design, um, military level type stuff. And then finally, in 1977, at JPL, the NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, who, if my friend Kate listens to this, will tell you she's been there, or she tells me every time I bring it up. But they created something called the Aspen Movie Map, which is a virtual tour that lets you wander the streets in Aspen in summer, winter, and polygons. And this is created at MIT for this virtual world tool. So it's think of it as an art form at this point because it's we're visiting places. All right. So in the eighties, got to see a lot more about this companies came out. VPL research uh, delivered a data glove, the iPhone E Y E phone, not the iPhone, uh, the audio sphere. And then they licensed the, uh, the data glove over to Mattel which made the original power glove. And if you don't know what a power glove is, go look up a power glove, stop the podcast, go look right now. Power glove was like the coolest thing you could own as a kid. If I think there was a, there was recently, it's called eight bit Christmas, Neil Patrick Harris is in it. And they have the power glove in there. And I was like, Oh my God, power glove. So very, very cool stuff. And in 1988, they started doing computer based. So all this stuff had these giant, and this we're thinking PC level at this point. We're talking about we had these giant computers manning, but then we had the the personal computer that Autodesk created and implement VR. And Sense8 got in there. And if you go back and look at these companies, it is so cool to see the history on these companies and see the people that worked at these companies. Good that I don't want to give up anything that's an Easter egg this time. Um, I will tell you that Eric Gillickson or Galaxon, I want to say Gillickson, uh, was one of those first kind of people to do this and to actually build something, leave a company and go to another company. Um, and, you know, they created things like the World Toolkit, which allowed you to do texture mapping. So when you see those maps with like the little lines and the squares and polygons and things going through. All right. So we started seeing more affordable VR in 1994. And I say more affordable because it showed up. Sega had a VR headset. There were LCD screens and visors. And we started seeing this where they were more mass produced. <coughs> Excuse me. Now. The most expensive one I was able to find was the $73,000 multi-pod virtuality system, which had headsets, exoskeleton gloves, and gave one the first kind of an immersive VR experience. Great. Um, yeah, you know, same year we started seeing immersive rooms. And so you had this cave automatic virtual environment or cave which is kind of goofy, right? Because cave automatical brew. But it created something that we've all known. If you're a Star Trek person, the holodeck. Holodeck. Oh, I'd love to go on the holodeck. It's like my one place I can visit. I mean, everyone's got a bridge. Holodeck's got to be really cool. So with this, they created some tools and games. And in 1992, they created Angels, which is the first interactive immersive movie that was had a data glove and goggles. Now with, with the angel thing, they basically had cracked the, the code, right? They'd move forward. We've, we have movies of this. We have a distilled 
programs. And so Sega started releasing motion ride tools and like you have Joyplus, which was created and it was just, you know, a game that you could use their device and play it. And so, you know, Apple released QuickTime VR. We have all these different companies and they're all chasing it. Even Nintendo jumped into the VR and even used that cave-like system where they had an immersion, you know, immersive projection room. So they call it the uh, virtual entertainment theater. And, you know, this is something that was very kind of cool. So from there, we move into the 2000s. And so what we've seen lately or the VR we have lately can be attributed um, by like the Oculus. So you have someone like Palmer Lucky. That's the only reference that guy's getting. I don't you go read about him. He's not a cool guy. Um, but, you know, they built this prototype of the Oculus and then they came along and wrote the software. So really, the, it's a two way street. You have to have the hardware and the software. And I'd say hardware is easy. The software is where you get to this level. And you have someone like John Carmack who created the software and, you know, would build on this. So think about software. You can build on it. And I always like to think software is like, oh, I have a rock on the ground. And as software gets bigger, it becomes like a mountain, a collection of rocks, a collection of programs. Now, a lot of this was built into a Kickstarter. Facebook buys Oculus. That's where we're at today. At the same time, Valve, the company who brought us some amazing games in Portal, maybe my one of my favorite puzzle games, Portal, which we'll talk about puzzle games in the future podcast. Um, but they also created their own VR. And, you know, it's called a stream site. So, or Steam site, sorry. As soon as I saw stream, I thought about it because streaming things. And then you had Sony who created uh, their PlayStation VR, which again, if you're going to create a program, please, please, please quit using like the, the Greek and, you know, movie references, Project Morpheus, Blah. you know, come up with a cool thing like PVR, PlayStation VR. Um, and then again, things like, you know, Glove One, which has the haptic feedback in your hands. Now, 230 companies started, 2016, I should say, now we're in 2022, 230 companies have been created this, including all the mega companies out there. And in 2021, EASA created the first VR flight-based training device. <coughs> Sorry, really dry day. Um, but this was created for rotorcraft planes, and it was supposed to enhance safety, which is super cool. Again, a really great way for pilots to test, pilots to learn, where maybe someone doesn't have the amount of money to get an airplane. And I'm thinking of kids and you know young kids where their parents don't have the money for an airplane. I don't have the money for an airplane. I don't think I'd buy one if I had one. I'm more of a hovercraft person. Anywho, they created this, and they're hoping that this lowers accidents by 20%. Super cool stuff. Okay, so there's the hardware. Very boring stuff, yay. Software, I'm going to go very short because I talked a little bit about. But software has an actual language, the virtual reality modeling language, VRML, introduced in 1994, and it had a dependency on the headset. So that's why we probably see more headsets than the bodysuits and the chambers and things like that and the caves. I still think caves... <laughs> that is the worst acronym ever because it has cave in it already. Oh, but that's just me. But then we also have what we call the Web 3D Consortium, and they were founded in 1997, and they created standards, which is really helpful. I know I want people to create and I want people to just do, but having standards when you're doing those things is really, really helpful. And it allowed people to have an open source standard. Now, we may hear open source very bad in security. There are sometimes when open source is very good, as long as you're tracking what your open source is and where it came from, and you're not like getting it from the uh, the corner store. You're pulling it from a reputable group, like you know the Web VR. So this is a you know application that's used in the HTC Vive, the Oculus Rift, the Google Cardboard, OSVR, and in web browsers. So this is, this is very common around what we're looking. 
The other neat thing about it is because a lot of this VR is being used in entertainment, 3D simulate, 3D cinema, uh, social and virtual worlds, we want to make sure that we have all of that, all that stuff together in the same environment because I want something that works across all my platforms. Now, it doesn't have to be exactly the same because let's say Rift has something that's better than Vive. So what? Maybe the sound system is beats in one and not in the other. Okay, got it. But the controversial moment is that, you know, video games and music, art, television, movies, and adult entertainment, which I said I was going to bring up before, but that's all I'm going to say about it, are the drivers for technology because they drive the video, the sound, the speed, the delivery, and the graphics in VR get better and better due to these areas. Now, it's more on the gaming and the cinema because the fact that you can put a VR headset on and play a game at your desk or you can stand up and play a round of golf, which we'll talk about, is super awesome. Now, accounting and finance really don't drive that, right? Ooh, marketing, ooh, project or program management and things don't push those things. I would say research and company research does, but we're seeing the pushes in VR and that software through this. Now, in the social sciences, it offers a cost-effective tool. Oh boy, I saved $1,000. Well, that doesn't pay for the millions of dollars of development games do and things like that. All right. So the cool part about that, though, is the use of that software that maybe has been driven by games and by cinema can be used in those social sciences to help people deal with PTSD or help people to deal with a, a phobia or a fear or anxiety. Uh, the other great thing is it can be used in rehabilitation. It can be used to help the elderly or people who have difficulties, say, with Alzheimer's. And this has been proven because they have the ability to simulate experiences that they may not be able to experience. They may say, oh, I need to go or I need to see or I want to do this. And it helps them develop those synapses. And and I thought this was such an amazing thing. I would love the ability to take my grandparents back to where they went to college if they were still alive and to show them like, oh, look, look at the uh, your college. It's so much bigger you know, than it ever was and all the things that have changed about it. Or take my grandfather back to Sri Lanka where he, he was in the military and say, look, do you remember Sri Lanka? Look, it, it's, it's still here. And it's because you did all your, your you know, your cur- courageous and brave work in the military for this. Um, training could go there. Like I talked about before, if that cooking or if doing maybe surgery, maybe you're doing sutures and you can watch the sutures and you make sure you're doing it right. Perfectly helpful for someone who's doing that mixed reality. Very, very helpful. Uh, Also, if we're thinking about this, if we're doing meetings, we can do our headset. Now, I'm gonna explain an experience where I actually used VR with work. It was really, really helpful. In the engineering, you know, this is where we go into this, like uh, the Marvel and Stark Industries place with Tony Stark, or we really should think about like, you know, John Favreau, Kevin Feige, all the folks that worked with them where you have Tony and he grabs something, he's moving it around and seeing it because his glasses are developing that mixed reality of that VR where he can go into this. Museums, thinking about the fact that, okay, let's say um, I want to visit the top 100 museums. That would take almost a lifetime because some of those museums, you have to plan trips, you have to go, you have to see them. Now, if you live in New York, you may have a better chance, but you're still going to have to go to Los Angeles or maybe Chicago, Paris, you know, all over the place. You would have the ability to go to and visit a museum and visit a virtual world of an art museum and go see these museums and see the Mona Lisa. I actually took a tour of the Louvre using my VR headset. It was amazing. It was like I wasn't there. I wasn't boots on the ground. I wasn't feet. I wasn't touching. I wasn't smelling. I wasn't having any croissants or any really good dishes made with lots of butter. Thank you, Julia Childs. Uh, more butter. But it was really amazing to see those areas. 
And then education talked about a little bit over there, but think about from an educational standpoint. Okay. Let's talk about elephants and let's go see elephants in the wild. Well, I could watch a movie about it, but let's say I can sit and I may be doing a VR where I'm seeing the elephants and I'm getting a better understanding of the elephants or the salmon or anything. Right. Um, you know, public libraries would also be very interesting from a VR perspective because we do have a lot of that stuff out there. You know, and we talked about all the public domain items. What if there's a VR public domain space? Uh, I think that is the craziest thing to go out there. And then finally, kind of one of the interesting things, and this kind of came out um, in 2021 in South Korea, a documentary was created where they created a virtual replica of a young lady and her mother was able to grieve with her. Or let's say I do virtual of my kids and I can sit back and, you know, maybe we went out on a picnic and I can go back to that picnic. Um, I think this is really, really kind of the great areas of it. Okay. So we've talked about it. It's awesome. Let's talk about some concerns and challenges. Now let's, let's, there's always positives. There are some health and safety things. Some of it is, you know, with technology, if you're focusing all of your eye space on it, there are folks who have seizures with it. Totally understand that. There are people who fall. Um, I made very clear to create a large space when I'm going to use my VR so that I do not fall into a coffee table or the couch or down the stairs. <laughs> I, I laughed on the stairs because when I was doing it, I was like, oh, I don't have to worry about that. And then I'm thinking, yeah, I do. And I actually moved something over there so I wouldn't be anywhere near. Um, some users can get blackouts while they're doing this. And they say for every 4,000 people, a 0.025% could have twitches, seizures, blackouts. Um, it, it makes it so that you're sitting there and you're losing kind of an awareness is another idea. Eye fatigue. And what was interesting was there was, I think I saw, I was looking at something on a VR and it was, you know, on the other side of it, like it was on Amazon, it had the VR headset. And I was looking, I think it was looking at the Vive. And then next to it was something that actually exercises your eyes so that your eyes can relax after you use it. And I think that's a good idea. It'd be cool if they put it into the VR headset. So maybe you wear it after that. Um, they do talk about myopia occurring with some of the headsets. Um, they call reality, virtual reality sickness, also known as cyber sickness. I thought this was my favorite, but this is when someone exposes and they get this motion sickness to it, um, which it's out there. Now, the other side is, again, kids in VR. I don't want to be too preachy on this, but if I think too much of anything where children don't see, understand the limit of it and don't understand the context of it can be difficult. And you know what? Parents, parent your kid or you'll be adulting your adults. I won't, but you will be if you do that type of stuff, if you think it's okay for your, you know, those types of things. All right. So let's talk about the software. And I know we're getting, we're running long, but this is the, uh, the software I've tried on VR. Some of my, my favorites and not so much favorites. Now, first uh, I've had this headset for two years. I have played a lot of stuff. I've looked at a lot of stuff. I've bought some stuff. I did not buy the Darth Vader thing. I'm more of a Trekkie than a Star Wars person. I love Star Wars, but it's like sitting there fighting Darth Vader with a lightsaber. Sounds cool to you? They got three apps for you then. Only one Star Trek app. So uh, the first one I'm going to pick on is ESPN. I'm not picking on it because I think ESPN has done a fantastic job. Their VR is so cool. What's really awesome, and I'm about to do it today, is I'm going to watch a replay of a basketball game. I've done this. I've actually watched live sporting events, hockey on it. Uh, I've watched football. I've watched snowboarding, ice skating, uh, basketball. And it's another interesting way to watch sports where you're right there. Comcast or Xfinity or NBC or some of, the, some of those guys had a, uh, an app for, and we're on the sports thing, had an app that was for the Olympics. And I started watching ice skating. And while you would get a view and remember the rink is huge. It had like different, it would change views every so often. And you would get that like, Oh, we're changing views moment. But it was so interesting. I felt like I was 15 feet away from the people skating. I'm still trying to find the Nathan Chen one. Cause I think I'd be super cool to watch like 
him skate in this. And I think it'd be amazing to watch. Uh, I like to watch the U S Canada hockey because can't really choose a root for him. I think they're both amazing teams, but watch that and be on the ice, be on the side of the court. That's be sitting at home, right? This opens that experience up to people and not everybody's going to buy court seats and everything's going to be, you know, Jack Nicholson, the Lakers or Spike Lee, the Knicks, but you can get that view of it. All right. Another app I love is YouTube. And outside of gaming, I think, you know, gaming emotion stuff and moving around and seeing things, this may be the best application in Oculus. And the reason is, and, and I guess give the reason over what I watched a video on the Matterhorn yesterday. It's like eight minutes long, but they kept circling the Matterhorn and they showed the cities around it. And, you know, you're kind of seeing this from this, you know, you're about, I don't know, maybe 400 feet away from the Matterhorn. So you're looking directly at it and you're going around it and you get the side views and you can see people climbing the mountain. Like there were people on the very top. There were people at the summit and they were waving. Now you see the tiny, super tiny, like, you know, quarter of an inch high, but it was so neat. Cause then I watched from the V I went from the Matterhorn. I went to Oahu and I was watching the beach. I was sitting there watching the ocean and I could just, you know, for the, if you need a moment of relaxation and escape, is there anywhere better than sitting on a beach in Hawaii, maybe in your house wrapped up in a blanket. So you're super warm. Cause it's like 27 degrees outside. Uh, but it was amazing to be able to go and see those things or go to the Louvre and see the art tour or, you know, I, one of the other things I thought was very, very interesting is people watching and people watching it like a landmark and sitting in, you know, look at the Picasso sitting there, you know, in, in Chicago or maybe sitting on the canals, you know, in uh, Amsterdam, very amazing, amazing things. And I think this is where, if I'm going to go visit, I want to visit and see the Matterhorn. It gave me more information to visit the Matterhorn and see it. Okay. So I've been using this target shooting game and I'm also not other than the big companies, uh, because there are several target shooting games. We use a bow and arrow one. I've used a regular target one, really, really cool games in this, but instead of killing zombies or characters, cause it's like, I just didn't want the killing thing. It's like, Oh, too much. That, that gives me PTSD and anxiety. But it was really fun because I've actually kind of worked up a sweat. And this is one where I've had to use instead of sitting and watching stuff like an ESPN or YouTube, I'm moving around and I'm trying to dodge these little laser bullets and point and you're using the hand things to shoot your guns and stuff. I've worked out a, uh, a, a kind of a sweat because you're working in a 360 degrees and you're standing. So you have to create what they call the guardian and Oculus or the containment area where you don't run into stuff. And it is kind of a fun game. It is one that after I play it for like 30 minutes, I've used some weird muscles because I don't think I'm out shooting targets all day in the backyard, 360 degrees. Um, the best example of kind of the game I thought about was in the uh, uh, movie, the Hunger Games, where they have the the virtual reality and there's, you know, Katniss is shooting the arrows and stuff. It's very similar to that. All right. So golf. I've tried a couple of the golf games that are in here because I thought it was pretty cool. I like to play golf. I think it's a, a good time. The views of this golf is you're on a golf course. It looks like you're actually on a golf course. Now, it is bright and shiny and it's not, you know, the grass isn't, you know, chopped up because it's brand new virtual grass. The gameplay was a little bit off. And the reason with it was when I did a swing and I've got a pretty good golf swing. I've been doing it for 40 years. Um... It's, it's one of those environments where the swing was kind of off and the putting was kind of off. And if you accidentally move your club and you're trying to reset your club because it wouldn't sit on the ground, it's like sitting four feet up and then it switches and hits the ball. It was driving me a little crazy. Uh, I think it needs to get a little better. And both of the games I tried for golf really didn't have a tutorial. I spent about an hour trying to learn the game, figured it out. And, you know, it, it this is one of those games where I'm like, eh. I'm going to go grab a golf club and go to the range or have a little mat in the backyard and just go back there and swing. I think it's easier. All right. So fishing. So fishing games are usually kind of boring because you're just sitting there and you're fishing and you're catching the fish, you're driving the boat. You know, they've had these around for a very long time. Uh, you know, where you have you know, the Wii, actually Atari, the Wii, all the way up, Switch, Xbox, PlayStation, all have them. 
But in the VR headset, it was really kind of fun because in the VR headset, when you catch something, I actually have to grab the fish with my one hand. And you can sit there and look at the fish. And there was something like a pickle trout or something. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. And it's like, it looks like a pickle. Um, and there was like a punk something and a mohawk. Very kind of a cool thing. But it's one of those things. I mean, after my mom got through the cartoony level of it a little bit, she probably play it pretty good. Pretty good stuff. Um, the browser, looking at Firefox, looking at stuff that's built only for VR, a VR browser, a VR internet. Pretty cool. Kind of neat to go out and just like read news on a big newspaper right in front of you, right? Like we'd have an old newspaper right in front of me. And uh, the final app is called Virtual Desktop. I love this app. I actually thought about doing this podcast with the Virtual Desktop. But then I'm like, yeah, and then it's going to make noise. And I didn't want to make that too much of a pain. But it takes your desktop and it moves it into the VR world. So think about using a uh, Excel where you maybe only get 10 columns or 15 columns. You got to make it smaller. I had 100 columns and I'm able to look to almost, you know, what we would consider complete west to complete east if we're doing that um, in peripheral vision. The other neat thing is looking at a PowerPoint and watching the PowerPoint on my screen. I've done some meetings with the virtual desktop and been in Zoom. And um, I've had an icon versus like a camera picture, but it was very interesting to be able to see things and be able to grab and, you know, use the doodling uh, that you can do in Zoom and things like that. <clears throat> so a lot of good applications, and there's only going to be more. They're going to build on this, like virtual gardening. I'm actually looking forward to virtual gardening. I think it would be cool uh, one day. So my final thought on VR is, it is very cool. It has been around a very long time. There is so much history in the VR. You could go read about it and learn. I think I have 100 facts in here when I was getting ready. I was in the 90s when I stopped counting somewhere. But there's so much information on VR and it's so interesting and it's such a great concept. Definitely get a chance to try it out. Um, if you have a chance to get a, a headset, use it. Uh, think about it. Think about you how much you're going to use it before you buy. Because you may say, or if you have a smaller space, like maybe you have an apartment in New York or something, you don't have a lot of space to move around. Maybe, maybe think about it. Maybe you can rent it or go rent a VR at a place where they're clean or something, hopefully. But I think the applica application development is hitting that adolescence, and it's just going to get better daily. And VR is amazing. And I think VR is something that could be used for so much good and not much bad. There's still bad in everything, right? But VR is such a cool topic, and I'm really looking forward to getting to the point where I feel like I'm going to IMAX movies in my living room. Or maybe I want to go see a tour of the Grand Canyon. Actually, I'm going to go do that after we're done here. I'm going to get lunch and then I'll go do that. Uh, but VR, definitely take a look at it. Definitely learn something. I hope this podcast helped learn something and opened some doors. Again, apologies for it as long, but this is a big subject. And I look forward to my next podcast.